0: good morning church um so excited about this um word we're going to dive into here in a moment but man i just need to calm down a second um man god is good amen Amen. i'm gonna move these pins or i'm gonna play with them um somebody can get i'll get those later um oh god is good Amen. Amen. amen um I would apologize for being overwhelmed but why exactly. why see the reality of it is um, when you see them yeah. when you really see them right yeah. you can't help it it's right. and it's not about the volume at that point in time and it's not about the what do they think at that point in time and it's it's not about though, are people going to think I'm crazy at that point in time? It's, oh my gosh, look at Him, right? Amen. Look at Him. Yeah. And this morning, I, I got just a glimpse of that as we were singing that song. Um, and what a beautiful yeah. name, the name of Jesus. And if, I'm sorry if that scares you off. Um, there's lots of places you can go that they're not going to act that way. But thank God that we can. Amen. Amen. Thank God that we can just be overwhelmed sometimes at who he is. Because here's the deal. He's impressive. Amen. Amen. You want to go somewhere where they're not impressed, that's awesome. Not knocking it. Maybe inside they are. But man, (laughs) just when you see it, you can't really get away from it. And this morning, I'm not saying that to say, oh, we're doing great, or I'm doing great. I'm saying, man, I, he is great. Amen. And if you could just step over into that, man, it'll change everything. Man, it's so good to be here with you guys this morning. Uh, so good to just talk about what God has done. Uh, we're going to talk about overflow for a second, but I just, I want to reiterate this. Uh, We're not here to celebrate a church this morning um, because there are tons of churches. To be honest, it's a group of people that are flawed and have issues and problems and struggles, and if you're around very long, you're going to find that out. It's just true we are not perfect so you're never going to be perfect if you're looking for a perfect church you're going to have to go to heaven um cuz there's not one here and we don't have any idea what we're doing it's true now just let you know there's no secret um sauce here we have no idea um but this morning, we are here to celebrate the fact that God can take a group of people that have no idea what they 're doing and then make something happen that would last three years right <laughs> thank god he hasn 't turned the power off yet like <laughs> it 's awesome um, if you haven 't been around overflow very long, maybe you don 't know the story so i 'll just kind of go there um, i 've got one picture um, and and i 'll get to it in a second but if you don 't know, overflow started as a college ministry of 2010, I think, was the date on that, and um, when we started, there were like maybe four or five people, and most of those people were on stage, and um, there was maybe one or two people that come to hear us, right? <laughs> it, was, it, it was interesting, um, but we did it, and we decided, hey, we're going to do it the same way whether one person comes or a hundred people come, because it's not really for people, it's for Jesus, and uh we existed that way for a while and there were some people that came and it went up and down for a while and fluctuated like any group people does but we were a college group for three years maybe four years in total a couple different forms of that um and um we just kind of felt God impressing upon us go start a church and we had a conversation about it a couple times different people um Sade thought I was nuts um I remember that specifically. Um, you're welcome. Um, no part, didn't want any part of it. Uh, she was there, but I mean, she was like, nah, can we just be a college group? That was fun. Um, I'm just kidding, um, But anyway, we um, felt God impressing, hey, go start a church. And um, we were like, okay, but. We were part of another church, and it's hard, right, when you are part of a church to leave and go to do another thing, and there's responsibilities and things, and um, long story short, um, God just kind of opened the door and kicked us out, really, like literally, Uh, Sunday morning, we were a college group, Sunday afternoon, we were homeless, for real, like loaded up all the equipment and gone. (laughs) Homeless. Um, I don't want you to think anything's weird. Uh, We come from North Acres. You can contact those people. They love us and we love them. But it's just kind of how it worked. And um, we, anyway, um, were like, I don't know what to do. We met uh, the next Wednesday night in my garage. And and there's not a picture this year, Mom. Um, Yeah. Uh, But we met in, in my garage and we had band practice, which was probably the most horrible thing ever. Uh, that I've ever experienced. It was weird, and loud, and nasty, and um, strange, and uh, after that practice, I really thought, um, we're done. Uh, I remember at that moment, uh, I even said to the band, we we got to decide what we're going to do. If we want to do this, great. If not, um, whatever, you know, just, and John came up to me, and um, he I think it was, I won't tell the amount of money, but John slapped some money in my hand, and he said, it's not much, um, but I just want you to know that I'm with you, and um, whatever whatever that looks like. And um, I'm going to cry telling that story, um, because, man, it was such a moment where there was this hopelessness of, we're not going to do Anything God, you, you said, here's what we have, and now this is it. And, and I don't know what's going to happen. And then somebody comes along and they say, I'm going to be with you. But then they put like feet behind that, right? Like, I'm with you, and here's here's me putting some skin in the game. It's easy to say I'm with you, it's hard to actually be with you. Um, and and, and anyway, we kind of talked about it. And, and Caleb said, wherever he is, he's in here somewhere. There he is back there. Um, he said, Hey, why don't we have it in my backyard? Um, It was summer-ish, and we did um, the next Thursday, and we didn't know who would show up. We were like, somebody might. Let's just do it. Uh, We've done it with one person before, so I mean, what can we lose? And um, there were like almost 40 people that showed up that night um, in his backyard, which is weird. And I'll just be honest, um, at that moment, God was just kind of like, yeah, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you, Nick, um, before that, thought we were a little nuts. Because we are, and um, can I tell the story, and um he told me later on, Nick had been coming for a little bit, and he's like, "You guys are a little bit weird." He didn't say that out loud but in his head, and uh he come that night in the backyard and and, and what God impressed upon him is they're they're real because they worship in the backyard just like they do in the building um and in that moment it was like man something maybe let's just try it right there was a little bit of hope and then the next week we met in like a clubhouse for a subdivision um and um we it was weird like you're literally in this room people are sitting in lawn chairs and around like glass tables some of you guys were there it might have been Jacob's first time was that your first time yep. yeah uh, which is awesome um uh, and um uh, we were talking about um Abraham right now God just called, it. I remember that message, um, God just said, hey, come follow me, but he didn't tell him where, he's just like, ah, let's do it, you know, if you do it, I'll do my part, if you, if you do your thing, I'll be faithful, and um, that next week, I don't even know if it was like a day later, I got a call from a local pastor um, of a different church, and he said, hey, I heard you guys don't have anywhere to have your ministry, and I just want you to know we don't use our building on Thursday nights, so if you want to use it, you can use it. That's weird if you've ever met church people and pastors. like Normally that's like, don't come, you might steal my people, Like that kind of mentality. But it's just such a kingdom mentality of, come do this. And then he even like, had a room. He's like, oh, we don't have big Sunday school classes yet. And um, he even gave us a room. He said, just put your stuff back there and lock it. So we didn't have to take it in a trailer in and out every week. It's such a kingdom mentality. Um, and I just want to say, like God has blessed that church um, they, my sister goes there, she's never been here, but she goes there, um, and and I'm okay with that, right, go, go where you go, like, just go, and, um, God's blessed them for that kingdom mentality, and for a year, probably about 50 weeks, I guess, we were there, um, still feeling like this is not it, it's just Thursday nights for us, God's called us to start a church, and we're kind of still a Thursday night thing, still rough, right, like, some weeks, there were, like, two people there, and It was not fun to drag equipment in and out of a room every week and set up. Uh, I have a heart for the people that feel like they need to have church in auditoriums, because that would be horrible, um, dragging that out and in every week. But in that 50 weeks, uh, we just began to pray, God, give us something we can afford. Give us something we can afford. And I just want you to know, we had like 12 people, so we dropped from 40 to 12, um, because people don't do caravan church much. Um, But um, we couldn't afford much of anything, and, uh, then God opened up an opportunity for us to be in this building on Rutledge Pike, and some of you guys came there, right, for the first time, and it was probably, like, (laughs) this much of the room, like, from here to the wall, um, and you had to walk in behind the stage, and there was, like, this three-foot wall, and it felt like you were gonna get jumped, right, (laughs) um, (laughs) when you come around, sketchy, um, but, man, God just blessed us in that moment. And the first Sunday, uh, we have a picture of it somewhere. I'll tweet it out later. But um, there were, like, 14 people there. Right? It's nuts. Um, and for a year, we were there, and God just grew and grew and grew. And we were like, oh, we're running out of space. That's a great problem to have, by the way. Uh, we were like, man, we're running out of space. That's nuts. And uh, we started looking for another building, and then we found this place. And if you ever were here before, it was a church. You don't have to raise your hand. Um <laughs> because it was a bar, and that's okay, um, but uh, if you were here before, it was not this nice, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, it was like nasty tile, it's the same stuff that's back there, actually, um, sorry about that, um, <laughs> we only, we're tight st- budget, um, but strip the floor, uh, put the g- garage floor kit down, which I love, um, it had yellow, like, P carpet. I'm sorry if that's nasty, but it's true. Um, down through there and, uh, like a bar back here and, uh, the carpet was like ripping up and tiles were chipped and come in here and spent a long time, right? (laughs) Coming in here and stripping all this stuff out and putting a stage in here. Some of you guys remember that because you worked on it and it was a lot, right? (laughs) Um, and, uh, anyway, uh, this is what it looks like now. Um, And that is 100% by the grace of God. Um, Because, man, we have no idea, right? (laughs) We don't know what we're doing. Um, But, man, um, this is um, kind of a picture of our journey, maybe. There we go, yeah. So the warehouse thing on the far end, look how young Sade looks, um, (laughs) was the warehouse at North Acres. And then the next picture... um, is us in Caleb's backyard, and then the next picture is us at Steadfast. Ignore my haircut; it's bad. Um, <laughs> the next picture down, um, the next picture down is um, us in our old building, and this is us in our current building. And can I just say, God's not done yet. Um, I would love to, um, when we're here next September, have another picture up here. Yeah. Right? Wouldn't that be good? Um, can I just say, um, cause look around, we got a couple chairs, um, because, um, some of you guys decided that you're not only with us, but you're going to say you're with, you're with us with actions. Um, we have ordered a hundred more chairs. Um, now, if, if you're good with space, right, um. We're gonna have to store like seventy of those chairs, <laughs> and take out the blue ones. Um, for real, because um, you can't fit a hundred more chairs in here. But I just want you to know how God works. Um, when we were the college thing, um, we used to travel around and play at different churches. It's just what we did. We didn't ever call anybody. They were just like, "Hey, come play at this." They quit that now. Uh, so either. <laughs> Um, either God was like, okay, you're done with that stage or they lost her number. I have no idea. Um, it's okay. Um, but God impressed upon us to buy this sound system. Actually, um, Debbie and God impressed upon us to buy the sound system. Um, and I was freaked out because I was, but hold on, um, we don't have any money, right? And, uh, we bought the sound system. So when we got a building, um, we already had a sound system to put in it. Um, the lights, same kind of thing. We were having Good Friday, and the lights that the church were having it at weren't awesome, and these were better. So we got them, and um, now we're just saying to God again, um, God, we see where you're going, we see what you're doing. We want to be part of it, so we're putting feet with it, right? And we're and we're saying. We don't have a spot for 100 chairs, but we know that you want to reach a city. And 100 chairs is what we got the money for. Uh, if we had the money for 1,000, we'd buy 1,000, but hundreds is what we got the money for. Um, so that's where we're going to go. And um, I, I believe that God's not done yet. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. Don't you? Like, really? Yeah. Um, and I want to be part of it. Yeah. When we started this thing, the heart was... Um, that we want to see people uh, who are far from God come near and those that are lost to be found. It's the same heart actually today. Um, and it's had different forms, right? Like I used to sing and cat strum a guitar. Um, (laughs) now I still do that. Um, but, but Kenny preached, right? And then through just God doing some things, um, here we are, right? And, um, It's taken different forms. There's been different people, and some have gone, and some have come. But I just want to say, like God's not done. And if you're here, you're here for a reason and a purpose. And and there are things that we're going to do this year that are going to be like, hey, where'd that come from, right? Nick joined us in the backyard, thought we were crazy, and then now he's like the student guy. That's cool. Um, And if you're here, you're here for a reason, and God has something for you to do, and, and you can put feet with... Like the movement of God, and I just kind of want to invite us to that today, but let's pray right now Um, in thankfulness. Hey, God, thank you for what you've done, but then kind of on the back end of that, thank you for what you're doing, and show us what that looks like. Um, I think two years ago, we prayed, hey, God, um, we need a new spot. Hey, God, we need a new spot, right? We don't have enough room for what you've given us, so let's go for it. And let's just pray. Father God, this morning we thank you. God, we thank you for everything you've done. God, we thank you for where you've brought us and where we are. Um, God, we thank you for where we're going. My God, right now we just pray and we say that not looking back but looking ahead. that Our Bible tells us that our God is able to do abundantly more than anything we could ever think, ask, or imagine. And God, this morning, we we just want to say, we're thinking and imagining big. So God, you just go beyond that. God, this morning, we realize it's not about numbers. There's been more spiritual growth in this place than could be measured. Um, But God, this morning, we just want to yield to you and ask, God, for you to do whatever it is you want to do. God, more than we could ask, more than we could think, more than we can imagine. God, we supernaturally and kind of miraculously need some more space. Thank you, Lord. Um, So we're praying for that. God, we uh, don't know what that looks like or where that is, but we know, God, that you are taking us somewhere when we are part of it. God, we need some teachers to rise up in this place to do some things that God, one or two, cannot do. And God, we're just asking that you will do that. God, we need some people with servant hearts to rise up in this place that, um, that, that God want to just, whatever it looks like, if it's in the parking lot or at the door or cleaning the bathroom, God, just want to be part of what you're doing. Um, and God, we believe that, that you've already put that in place. So God, this morning, we just thank you we love you it's in your name Jesus we pray amen now some of you think man we're getting out early today now it's probably gonna be the other way around (laughs) so sorry but we have food so it's good Um, I'll feed you after Um, but this morning I just want to finish up talking about this all-in mentality because in reality um, we would not be here today if it wasn't for a few people that were all in, right? Like, I'm not even talking about in this building necessarily, I'm just talking about like way back in the day, all the way up to today, like there were 11 guys that were like, Jesus, no matter what it looks like, right, I won't hold back. If they stone me, if they beat me, if they kill me even, I won't hold back, all the way up to the present, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put skin in the game. I'm, if, if it's money, I'm going to put skin in the game. If it's time, I'm going to put skin in the game. I'm going to be in because I believe, God, that you are worthy, right? And this morning, we're going to talk about a person who in the Word was the definition of all in. We're going to do that in Philippians 3. Um, in Philippians, uh, it's this letter written by a guy named Paul. You've probably never heard of him. Um, Little-known theologian, just kidding. Uh, He wrote, like, most of the New Testament, actually, and um, this guy, Paul, um, was not a believer in Jesus for the majority of his life. Actually, in the story today, we'll see that he was actually even a persecutor of the church, that the, that the whole time Jesus was alive on this planet, Paul was a man who was against Jesus and against the church. He was a man who would imprison people that were part of the church. He was a man who wasn't afraid to, to get his hands dirty, if you know what I mean, um, with with the church. And, um, and anyway, he sees Jesus and his life is miraculously changed because a meeting with the resurrected Savior and then God changes him from a man who pulled down the church into a man who built the church at the stake of his life, even. And in Philippians 3, we have this glimpse into the letter where he's kind of writing to the church at Philippi how we should live out our life in Jesus. And in 3, it says, finally, it's kind of the end of the letter, but he's a preacher, so he's really got like this chapter and then one more. Um, but anyway, it's supposed to be the important part of the letter. He's wrapping this thing down, and you don't say all the important stuff at the beginning because people aren't really paying attention yet. You don't pay and put all your important stuff in the middle because that's the part. If we're not going to remember, we're going to remember. You You save the impact for the end, and this is the moment, right, that he's about, to, he's about to wrap this thing down. So this is some really important information he's about to give this church at Philippine. He says, finally, my brothers, in other words, he's writing to the church, the last thing, the important thing that I can think to write to you is this: rejoice in the Lord. Hold on, wait—you wasted ink on that. Thank you, Paul. Um, this is what he writes. Like here's the end of the letter. Here's the 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 wrap down, and here's what he says to these people. Finally, my brothers, rejoice or be happy. Right? It means to show or to feel uh, this overwhelming happiness. And, and here's what he says finally, my brothers, the church rejoiced, and you're like, why would he feel the need to write that? Well, here's the reason. Obviously, he has met some church people, (laughs) right? Because here's something we're not good at. Let me just throw this out there to you. Uh, Rejoicing. If you've ever met church people or you are church people, you'll know we're not very good, actually, at being happy. Actually, we're probably the best at complaining, right? I'm just going to beat up on us for a minute. I'm one of us. We're, We're negative, right? We're complainers, we're whiners. Actually, we're babies. Um, That's us, right, as a church, Uh, and and that's a global thing because here's the deal. Um, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came here, and he, he died on the cross to save you from sin, guilt, shame, hell, and the grave, so that when you die, right, the worst thing that we can think of that can happen when you die you don't go and be separated from God forever and burn for eternity. You go to heaven, where God is, and where God loves you and protects you and takes care of you. That whole that whole scheme. But we seem to forget that down here, right? So Monday happens, oh my gosh, I just hate going to work, and then they didn't talk to me today, and blah, 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 and we we do all that negative stuff, and we're so worried about all this stuff, but in reality, we are forgiven people, we are loved people, and out of that, we should really kind of be happy people, but there's this breakdown that happens, and we're not, so here's what he says, let me just get you something important this morning, if you can't get anything else, finally, my brothers rejoice, but then he adds this, because here's our problem in the Lord. Notice he doesn't say rejoice in your job. Right? My job doesn't make me happy. Well, it wasn't meant to, actually. Right? It's like a punishment for sin. <laughs> You're going to live by the sweat of your brow. Yes, you are going to hate your job. Congratulations. Or um, my spouse doesn't make me happy or my kids, they don't make me happy. Well, they're not supposed to because they're people and you can't find happiness in people. It's just not there, not for very long anyway because we're broken and flawed and, and not good. Um, but, it, but it does say that we do have the ability to rejoice in something or someone, and his name is Jesus, right? The Lord. So he says this to the church, Finally, my brothers, quit complaining and whining and fussing and all your moaning and groaning, and rejoice, be happy in the Lord. See, it's a focus shift or a perspective shift. He's like, quit looking at everything else and look at him. Quit focusing on all your issues and look at him. Quit focusing on all the people around you and look at the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. When you can do that, you'll be happy. It's amazing. Um, And it says, to write to you about this is no, again, sorry, another word, again, about this is no trouble for me. In other words, this is not the first time I've told you this because it's important. And I'll tell you again and again and again and again and again and again. Maybe we should just get up every Sunday and be like, Rejoice in the Lord. Let's pray amen, right? <laughs> and then seven months later, we might actually quit being so negative. But it says, Rejoice in the Lord. To write to you about this again is no trouble for me. And then he says this, It's a protection for you. Right? It's a protection from you. Why, why do I need to be protected? Why, why is it such a bad thing to be unhappy and to be negative? Because it will kill you right? Yeah. See, the truth of it is what he knows and what we should know is Jesus' people are happy people. Right. Oh, I just, it's so disrespectful to jump in church. Well, no, you just need to rejoice in the Lord, right? right. I cannot believe they shot confetti in the church. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you just need to rejoice a little bit and quit being so negative because God's people are happy people. Actually, it's a celebration because our God has come and he died and he defeated death and because of that, we can defeat death. And he's like, it's protection for you. It's a good thing. Right, Amen. Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and then he goes to topic number two, and he says, "Watch out for dogs." Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that Paul was a dog hater. That's why it's in quotes. Uh, although the Jews didn't like dogs, this is an insult. To to be called a dog is just as bad as to be called a Gentile in in the Jewish world. This actually, dogs. I I, I like dogs. Don't be mad at me. This is Paul. Um, Dogs were like vermin to these people, like they're nasty, they didn't want them, they weren't like pets you'd bring in the house, they were kind of gross, if we wanted a pet we were going to get like a donkey or something. Um, They didn't really like dogs, so this is an insult, and he says, watch out for dogs, insult, and then he describes those dogs. Uh, Watch out for evil workers, so they're people that do evil work, they're evil workers. Um, Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. And then we kind of get an image of who these people are. These dogs that he's talking about are people that have come into the church and uh, are Christians or pretend to be Christians at least, but really what they're concerned with is not following Jesus and loving Jesus and being saved. What they're concerned with is that you follow the law. Actually, probably these were ex-Jewish men who probably used to be teachers, maybe, uh, or at least knew a whole lot about Jewish law, and they'd come in and they were like, oh, it's great, I'm, I love Jesus too, I'm glad you follow Jesus, but just make sure you follow all 613 other laws in the Old Testament or you cannot be saved. So it was like a Jesus plus the law thing, not a Jesus only thing. And he says, that is an evil idea. That's an evil idea. That, that you would have to get your righteousness from Jesus and the law is an evil idea, is what he's saying. Actually, to that idea, uh, you, you should be called insulting names, actually. It's an evil idea. And you're like, well, how'd you get all that? Because it says this. Idea, circum or not circumcised. Sorry, I'm ahead. Uh, mutilators of the flesh, and what he's talking about circumcision. There are these people that come in. They said you got to follow all 613 laws, and then you have to be circumcised if you're going to be a Christian. Here's the reality, and it's what he's going to get to in a minute. Um, the law was defeated. Right? It was wrapped up. It was completely fulfilled in Jesus' sacrifice. So it's not Jesus plus the law that leads us to salvation this morning. It's Jesus that leads us into salvation this morning. And here's what he says, For we are us, people that know Jesus, we are the circumcision. What he's talking about is this sign of the covenant of God, that we are the the covenant of God. This says we're the ones who serve By the Spirit of God, not for the Spirit of God, but by the Spirit of God. And what he's saying is here, we don't serve to earn salvation or to earn some standing with God or to earn some love from God. We serve from salvation and from the love of God. And then he goes on and he says that we are people who boast or brag in Christ Jesus that he's the thing that we talk about. He's the thing we lift up. And we do not put confidence in the flesh. And we don't put our confidence in our ability to do anything because we know that we can't do anything. This is what he says about somebody who's a follower of Jesus. These are the characteristics of a follower of Jesus. He says, We are the covenant of God. We serve from the Spirit of God. Because we are saved, we serve, is what he's saying. Not to get saved, we serve. He says we brag on or we boast about or we talk about Christ Jesus and then we don't put confidence in ourselves. He says these are the characteristics of all in life. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. These are intrinsic things that come from following Jesus. So he's saying here, here, here's the deal. We're not looking for some outward sign to confirm that we are people that know God. We are the sign that we are people that know God. Some of you guys put all your faith in a prayer. My faith is not in a prayer. My faith is in Jesus. I said a prayer, right? And it was a bunch of stuff that just come out of my mouth uh, because God was working in my heart. But I couldn't tell you the words that I said, and I couldn't repeat them for you. I'm pretty sure the guy that prayed for me to follow him to pray was praying something weird. And I just happened to like, have a conversation with Jesus at the moment, and I couldn't repeat any of it. So I'm not looking to a prayer. I'm looking to what God has done in me. That's just reality. And then he says, we're people that serve because we're saved. Can I just say, I'm not serving or doing anything to earn love and and worth and value from God. I don't do this because it's like, oh, God will love me more if I stand on a stage. I do this because it's a spiritual gift that God has given me, and I'm just doing that because uh, he has saved me, and this is the response to that, right? I'm not doing this because it's like, oh, if I don't preach or I don't sing or I don't pray or I don't sweep or I don't greet or I don't, then God's not going to love me as much. That's not true. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. He already did that. Right. But if you know that God loves you and that he has saved you, you'll respond to that. That's what he's saying. I'm not serving for salvation. I'm serving from it. Right. Yeah. And he says that, that we boast about Christ Jesus. In other words, we talk about him and not just at church. I didn't get as many amens on that one. Um, we talk about him, and not just at church, right? Amen. Not just like a passive, like, I'm going to tweet this real quick, so I'll feel like I'm checking that off. But here's, here's the reality. When, when God has saved you, you really can't talk about other things for very long without getting back to that. That's what he's saying. Right. You, you know the, the dinner table conversation? It will turn to Jesus eventually. You know the I'm hanging out at work with my homies conversation it will turn to Jesus eventually because we are people that intrinsically if we know him will talk about him at some point in time. Right. Your favorite TV show it doesn't take long to you bring it in the conversation, does it? Why is Jesus less important? Right. Your favorite football team, it doesn't take long before it comes into the conversation, does it? Why is Jesus less important? Your kids like, "Oh, they they got up and they walked this week." That's amazing. Why are they more important than Jesus? Why doesn't he ever make it into the conversations? What he's saying, he said, here's the characteristic of all in life, a life of someone that follows Jesus. You talk about him. And then he says, we're people that don't put confidence in the flesh. This is the thing that we screw up all the time. I'm a pretty good person. Oh, yeah, I do all these things. I'm blah, 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 blah. Here's the reality. If we could just get behind this idea, we are not good people. You are not a good person. There is no good in you. There is nothing good about you. Amen. You're wretched and you're evil and you're whiny and you're complaining and you're negative and you're horrible and people probably wouldn't even like you for very long if you didn't pretend to be something different when you are around said people. That's just the reality and I'm the same way but here is the greater reality. God is working in me and he wants me anyway. My confidence is not in me and who I am. My confidence is in him. And he says, this is a reality for those that know him. And anything else is an evil idea. Amen. And then he says this. Although, right, Used to I once had confidence in the flesh too, and this is what we see man Paul is a different person on this side of Jesus. He says, although I once used to have confidence in my flesh too, I used to be one of those guys i 'm I'm not I'm, I'm not removed far from the picture. I know what it's like to be a sinner, and I know what it 's like to be one of those people I used to be there although I once had confidence in the flesh too, actually, he says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was better at it than all you people. <laughs> that's what he's saying, right? Oh, I, I know you guys think you're good, but I was uh, better than you. That's what he's saying. You're like, oh man, that's arrogant. No, it's true. Let's read his resume. Um, <laughs> He says that I was circumcised the eighth day. This is something that like way back in the law, they said to do. Like when you had a kid, this was a sign of a covenant with God. Your kid on the eighth day, not the seventh day, not the sixth day, not the ninth day, but on the eighth day was supposed to be circumcised. Now, eight-year-olds don't say, hey, mom, remember, right? I need to be circumcised. What we see in this picture is that his parents followed God. Right? And before he had the ability to follow God, they were already showing him how to follow God by following through on these things. Like eight days old, they're like, you know what? The word of God says on the eighth day, he's got to be circumcised. I'm going to do it. If they did it here, why wouldn't they have done it through the rest of his life? Right, His parents were people that followed God, and they raised him in a house that followed God. So he was brought up in, in church, if we want to put that word on it, and he was circumcised on the eighth day. It says And it says that he was of the nation of Israel, right? God's chosen people, like the people that God called out for his name. He was part of that people. You're not part of that people, by the way. Uh, You come from some other uh, nation, some other place, some other area of the world, and we're all in the same boat. We are not God's chosen people by birth. That's not how that works, but they were, and he was. And it says he was born of the nation of Israel, so he's already better than us, of the tribe of Benjamin, He's like, actually, I can even tell you what tribe that I'm from. Now, this is a thing that's pretty common. If you know any Jewish people, they can probably tell you what tribe they're from. Um, They they can just trace it back, like, well, mom was this, and then this, and 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 this. And here we get all the way back to Benjamin. But the cool thing is, if you can get back to Benjamin, you can get back to Abraham, Right? And if you can get back to Abraham, you can get back to Adam, right? So he can trace his lineage from his birthday all the way down, right, to Adam, the first man. That's something cool. I can't do that. You probably can't do that. If you can, cool, show me later. And it says that he was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. In other words, he was a purebred, right? He was pu- pure blood. He was 100% Hebrew, both sides of the family. There was no mixing, mingling. That was unusual. Because the people of Israel had been deported and deported and deported and deported and deported and taken out of Israel and brought back and taken out and brought back. And they mixed with those people a lot of time. And he's like, no, I can take you all the way back on both sides of my family. You can't do that. 100%. See, that even in the nation of Israel now, he would stand out above. He would be different. And it says he was a Hebrew, born of Hebrews. And then it says, as to the law, I was a Pharisee. Not only did I know the law, I was a teacher of the law. We know Pharisees are religious leaders, not always the hero of the story, usually actually not. But he was a Pharisee. He was above, again, right? Special qualification, special class. And then it says, as to zeal persecuting the church now he gets in here and he admits to the church right that he used to persecute the church but again as an Israelite, this would set him apart this is not something that would normally happen even for pharisees it would be unusual that we would go and we would persecute this this other group maybe we'd talk about him we'd ridicule him but he's like no nah, i'd kill him man straight up stand out again and he says as to righteousness that is in the law i was blameless As to a righteousness that was in the law, if you could be righteous through the law, I would be blameless. 613 commandments, and he's like, man, I checked them all pretty good, is what he's saying. You couldn't find fault in me. Now, I don't know about where you come from and what your background is and what your history is. And, and if you really think that 613 things, you probably can't list them all, I would assume. But you really think all 613 things in there that you've kept and you could say before me and before the people in here, and then especially before God, that you are blameless. I don't think many of us could do that. But here he says, I could do that. I would feel comfortable standing before God. And I, I was going to do that. That was the first plan. That was plan A, actually. I was going to stand before God. I was going to, I'm good. No, I don't I don't need any of that stuff. I've kept the law from 8 days old till now. If there was righteousness in the law, is what he's saying, I was good. If I could be loved by God through the law, I would have been good is what he's saying. If I could be like have worth and value through the law to God, I was good. If, if I could have a place, a standing with God through the law, I was good. If there was salvation in the law, I was, I was in a great spot, is what he was saying. I can't say that, right? If we back up to this morning, I can't say that. I wouldn't for, I wouldn't for the best three seconds of my life say, I want to stand before God with that. Because I would be doomed. Yeah. And here he is, and he's like, if there was righteousness, I would be good. Most religious person, maybe even on the planet, right? He's like, look at my pedigree, man. Look at my papers. You see a problem? Do you see an issue? Do you see, yeah, I would hand you this. And I would have handed God this. I can't say that. And then he says in seven, there's this transition, right? I would have stood before God with this. I was, that was the plan. I was going to come to the gates of heaven. I was going to be like, here you go, God. Didn't I do good? But something happened, and it says right here in seven, but, right? Man, I was, I was going to stand before God with this, but, and then he says, everything that was gained to me, take everything on that list. Take I checked off all 613, checked I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, check I was a Pharisee, check I persecuted the church, check all that stuff, take all that, everything that was gained to me, I have considered or I now think of to be a loss because of Christ. What he's saying is everything that used to be valuable to me, I now consider worthless because of Jesus. Everything I used to trust in, I now consider worthless because of Jesus. I used to think, man, I can do it on my own. I used to think I'm a good person. I used to think that it was, it was about how I lived and, and it was about who I was. But, but everything that I used to trust in, uh, I, I consider it worthless now. Because of what? Because of Christ. At the moment I saw him, all that stuff just didn't look that great anymore. See, Paul had this amazing thing happen. There was like a radical moment on, on the Damascus Road. Look at, I think it's like Romans 9 or something like that. I'm just talking. Uh, no, Acts, sorry, Acts 9. I just told you, I was just talking. Um I think it's like Acts 9. He has this amazing, miraculous moment where he's just walking down the street and then this light shows up and in that light or that light in itself is Jesus. And Jesus does this crazy thing in that moment. He blinds him. Physically, right? Blinds him. And he says, who are you, (laughs) right? Like what's going on right now? And Jesus says back to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I'm Jesus. At that moment where he blinded him, and I believe probably that blindness followed him, the scales fell off, but if you read anything where he's writing letters, he writes in big handwriting, he's like, oh, you can tell by the horrible handwriting, it's me that's writing the letter sometimes. Like, that's what he actually writes. At that moment, he he lost all that stuff but he saw Jesus. And this is what he's talking about. He's like, man, all that stuff that I used to really trust in that was really valuable to me, I consider it worthless now because I've seen Jesus. And he goes on in eight, and he says, more than that, I also consider everything. Not all the stuff that I have or all the stuff that I trust in, but like, man, everything I've ever seen, everything I've ever heard about, every, everything that, it, that I can even conceivably think may exist, I consider all that stuff to be a loss or to be worthless in view look at this of the surpassing value of knowing Christ jesus my lord here's here's what he says actually it even more than that like oh yeah my life changed at that moment but I, I, and I, it was pretty good life i would have trusted in that to get me in heaven but i just want you to know like even beyond that everything i can even imagine that i would ever be that I could ever attain, every ounce of wealth, every ounce of stuff, every ounce of, every ounce of knowledge, every ounce of religion, every ounce of goodness, I, w- I would toss that on a rubble pile. Because in that moment when I saw Jesus, man, what popped into my head wasn't, oh, he's okay. I don't really have to try that hard anymore. Or, oh, I said that prayer, now I don't have to go to hell. None of that is what popped into my head, actually. What popped into my head is, man, do you see how valuable he is? See, what he's saying here is this, this word surpassing value. He's like, man, he's so far beyond any value. I can't even put like a label on the value. It's just like he's, he's so valuable it surpasses the term value. And what he's saying is, man, to know Jesus, you could offer me anything in the world and I would never trade it. You could, you could, you could, you could say you were going to give me whatever and I, I've seen Jesus and I would never trade that. Knowing him now, like knowing who he is, I would, I would never jeopardize that. I would never, I would never trust in anything else. I would never put anything on there. Do, do you see the surpassing value of knowing him? What he's saying is what we talked about last week, right? Like Jesus is like, man, I'm this well of living water, yet you've walked away from me and you've youed out cisterns for yourself that don't hold water. He's like, I'm the source. I'm the spring. I am life. Why, why are you trying to find life in other things? It's that same idea. And what he's saying here is, man, I, I was in a cistern for my whole life. Like, he, to be a Pharisee, he at least had to be 30 years old when he was writing this. And he was probably older than that significantly. Um, but, it, but he said, man, all that stuff was that empty, like cracked well. And I was trying to find life in religion. And I was trying to find life in being a good person. And I was trying to find life in, in who I was and who I am. And can I just tell you, I've been there and it's empty there is no life in that. But now I've seen him, the source of life. And, and I just want you to know, like he is a rare and beautiful treasure. Yeah. Amen? Amen. You see Jesus and he's talking about like, what's the kingdom of heaven like? Well, it's like a man who, who, who finds this pearl that's so valuable and he goes and he sells every other pearl that he's a collector of pearls. He goes and he sells every other pearl that he has just to buy that one or he finds this field and in this field is a treasure. So he goes and sells everything he owns to come back and buy this field because what's in the field is worth more than everything else he has. That's what he's saying. He's like, I have found this rare and beautiful treasure. I found the supreme. I found the most high. I found the one and only. I found the name that's above every other name. And can I just say, man, I wouldn't trade one thing for that name. Uh, Now that I've seen him, now that I know him, you can't offer me money for that. I'm not going to work harder and miss being around him. It's not worth anything, right? I will leave my fame. I will leave my fortune. I will leave my people. I'll leave my family. I'll leave everything because he is supreme is what he's saying. I think Paul's asking today, like, do you see him like that, or is he just the thing? He's just this thing you do. Because see, in reality, if he's the thing you do, isn't that just as evil as trusting in the law? Oh yeah, I go to church. Evil. If that's your hope, if that's what you see, that's evil. You're devaluing God and you're devaluing the cross of Jesus. He says actually this, because it's easy to say stuff, right? He says, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. Why did he do that? Because his life before Jesus was completely in opposition to his life after. Everything he trusted in was opposition to, to, to Jesus. Every, everything that he could have continued to follow, oh, I'm going to keep being a Pharisee. Well, that's great. That's rebellion, by the way. I'm going to keep doing the law because I feel like it makes me feel good. That's rebellion, by the way. I'm going to keep trusting in who I am and my talents and my abilities. That's rebellion. That's evil. Because intrinsically, to be a person that is a follower of God, to be all in, right? We're people that rejoice. We're people that brag about Him. We're people that have confidence, not in us, but in Him. We're people that serve by the Spirit, not for the Spirit. He says this, I've suffered the loss of all things. You think a man that persecuted the church had friends that were in the church? When he came to know Jesus, he lost all his friends. You think a man that was raised by Jewish parents was just like, oh, great, be a Christian. If his parents were still alive, he lost those. You think that status as a Pharisee, people saw him coming down the street, oh, that's Paul, let me hear him teach. He lost every bit of that in the moment that he come to know Jesus, and he's like, I don't even care. Because of Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things. It's all gone. It's all gone. And he says, I consider them filth. That word actually is dung. Feces. That's the word he uses there. I consider it Excrement. So that I may gain Christ. I've lost everything and it doesn't bother me one bit because now I see he is, he's got this value on him that makes everything that I used to trust in, everything I used to want, everything I used to be about, it looks like crap now. I know that maybe it's vulgar, but that's what we need to see. Oh, I love Jesus, but I want to do this, and I want to accomplish this, and I want to be this. Well, if that's contrary to what Jesus wants for you, it's evil, and you're devaluing him. See, the the reality is he is the most rare and beautiful treasure in the universe, and when you see that, you will leave everything else. You can't just take your old life and tack him onto it. Your old life is opposition and rebellion to Christ, and you will allow him to crush it and rebuild the pieces that he wants if you've ever seen him. He says, I consider them filth so that I may gain Christ. And then he says this, and be found in Him or in a relationship with Him, in union with Him. This word in is actually a marriage word. And what he's saying here is in a in a marriage with Him. It says, not having, listen to this, a righteousness of my own from the law. That's everything he said I would have stood before God with a few moments ago. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through Faith in Christ not because of my works but because of my faith the righteousness that is from God a gift from God based on faith in Jesus and he says let me just tell you about my new life can I just wrap that up can I just show you what an all-in life looks like Can 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 I just for a second he says let me tell you about my new life my goal used to be to be a Pharisee and to follow the law and to gain my own righteousness but now my goal is to know him My goal is not to simply come to church. My goal is not to feel better because I completed my Christian duty for the week. My goal is not to feel better because I clicked it over to K-Love and gave up my radio stations that were putting filth into my brain. Sorry, I'm knocking on that this morning. But the truth of it is, if you hear those words, you think those words. God called you to be holy. That's not part of it. Sorry, be mad. All in life says, who cares what I get to watch on TV, right? Who cares what I get to listen to? Who cares what I get to participate in? Who cares about any of this stuff in my life? Because in t- reality, right, when I see him, the surpassing value of him, he can take anything he wants. Because it's all filth compared to him anyway. So my goal is not to come to church or to feel better or to be a good Christian. My goal is to know him. Him. You know, I read, not so I can feel better, but because I want to know Him. I've seen the value, and I know there's deeper value, and I want to see it. So my new goal, right, is to know Him, and then beyond that, here's part two, to know the power of His resurrection. I not only want to know him, I want to know as much about him as I can while I'm here, but then I want to die because I want to know what it feels like to be resurrected. I know it's amazing, right? I've read about Jesus' resurrection. Nobody else has ever done it. It's a pretty amazing thing. But Jesus said, if I know him, I can also, too, be resurrected, right? This is now. I was dead, in my sins and my trespasses, and God's made me alive. That's a resurrection, by the way. It's pretty awesome. We should brag about that more. We should talk about that more. We should celebrate that more. But here's the reality for us that know him. When we get put in a grave, and we will, it's a reality. We're all going to die. Um, we're all going to go in a hole, and they're going to put dirt over top of us. There's a day where we're going to come up out of that hole right? And I look forward to seeing what that feels like. I would love to know what it feels like to wake up one day in a little tomb and be like, oh man, there's a coffin here, and just pop right up out of that, glowing and all, right? Like, that's amazing to me. Uh, I want to know the power of his resurrection, but then it says this, in the fellowship of his sufferings. Pray that. God, I want to know what it feels like to suffer, right? This is the hang-up, right? Because nobody wants to suffer. I don't know what it feels. I don't want to know what it feels like to hurt. I don't know what it feels like to suffer. I don't want to know any of that stuff. I would love the happy stuff, want to be resurrected, want to know you. Don't make me suffer because the moment we turn away from God is when we suffer. And Paul says, that's goal number three, brother. God, let me suffer. Count me worthy enough to suffer so that I may know you. Count me worthy enough to hurt so that I may look for a healer. Count me worthy enough to be broken so that I may look for someone who can repair. Count me worthy enough to, to be sick so I can look for somebody that can make me whole, right? And count me worthy enough to die so I can find the one who gives me life. That's what he's saying. Rejoice, right? Because that's who he is. That's what he does. We're going to suffer. Man, let's do it with a purpose. That's what I was saying. Man, let me, let me know what it feels like to suffer. This is being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. This is what he says. That's my new goal. That's all in life right there. Right? That's what it looks like to be 100% in with Jesus. That's what it looks like to throw in. And it's not about being a Christian. It's not about wearing the t shirt. It's not about changing the radio station. It's about seeing And in the moment that we see, everything has changed. See, the reality of it is some of us think we need to know more. You know enough. You need to see. Some of us think we need to see something amazing. We need a miraculous something. Well, there's a miraculous something. His name's Jesus. He came down here and he died for you. You just need to see that. I need God to move in my life. Well, he did. He moved you right up out of the grave, right? Or he will if he hasn't. I need God to move in my life. Well, he did. He moved you out of darkness into marvelous light. God's done a lot of moving in your life. And if that was not enough, more will never be enough, right? There's not a more than I was dead, but now I'm alive. There's not a more than I was in darkness and now I'm in marvelous light. There's not a more than that. And if you're looking for more than that, you're never going to find it. See, he is a rare and beautiful treasure. He is supreme. He is valuable. And if you're looking for some little tiny little miracle, you're looking the wrong direction today. You need to look at Christ. What we need is not more belief or more experience. We need is a new vision, new eyes. And if, God, you have to blind me from all these other things to help me see, do it. Do it, Lord. Let's pray.